as I'm, as I'm making this mental picture, thinking of at least one or two games where Deshaun Watson had his way with the Titans. And against the secondary, there's going to be some PTSD there. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast live from Boombaz here in Spring Hill. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined as always by producer JT, who you can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, once again, we are here at our favorite fine dining establishment. How are you? I'm great. Happy Thursday. And, and even going a step further, happy thirsty Thursday because... Once again, we're here at Boomba's Craft right. uh, Pizza and Tap House here yeah. in Spring Hill, having a good time, hanging out with some awesome people. Some of you heard our call this week and decided to come out. The if it free was, food call? The free food call. And, and you came it's to an join. Easy, it's an easy <laughs> beacon to spot in the sky and an even easier one to act on. Indeed it is, but excited to uh, talk this uh, pit. I think it's a pinnacle matchup for the titans this season it's a big one it's certainly um not to not to tip our hand on today's topics too much but it's one of those games in their first six as we've been talking about for two months now this being the hardest stretch of schedule for him or for them coming into the season you know th this almost feels more important now based on the circumstances because it, it feels like when you can steal a little bit um, so we'll talk more about that today. Obviously, today's show entirely revolving around the Titans at Browns matchup, previewing that game from every angle that we can think of. We've got some Titans news to get into with producer JT. And then the best bet gauntlet rolls on week three. We're looking to make you some more money. Excited to get into all of it. But before we do, got to shout out Boomba's, our fantastic, lovely sponsor. We are brought to you by Boomba's Pizza here in Spring Hill. They also have locations in East Nashville and in Murfreesboro. Indiana and Kentucky also have locations. If you're from out of town, they are so good at what they do. And what they do is make delicious craft pizza. Four-time winners at the Las Vegas Pizza Expo last year. The only pizza maker in the country, JT, to have won Best Pizza in America twice. They make great pizza. And we look forward every week, not just to come here and do our show live from Boomba's, afterwards to have some delicious food i mean i'm sitting here i'm thinking okay we've got about 55 minutes until i can have one of the fantastic green chili chicken pizzas that i have each and every week that i'm here it's my favorite i know last week you tried a different what pizza what's pizza did you try i have the week? nona it had some right. uh, you know some prosciutto on it mm -hmm. and then some uh it, it was a it was more of a margarita style pizza but okay. it was delicious and we also we tried the, uh, what did we have last week? We had the fried ravioli as well, yes. which was very, very which good. Which was the fanciest version of a mozzarella stick I agree. that I've yes. ever had. And it was, it was great. It was great. We also have some drinks from the, uh, this is a tap house as well as a craft pizza joint. They have a ton of local and domestic brews on tap, drinking a little Blake's triple jam cider today, which is delicious. What did you as got? Always. It, yeah, I mean, you I, are the cider I am, king. I'm the, I, Tasty fruity girly drinks is the way for me. That's that's my I, and I have the I have the manly jackalope uh <laughs> bear walker maple okay. stout. So uh you know you opposite, know opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes, opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum, but they are yeah. both delicious and there's there's something on tap for everybody here, is really the I point that, that we're yeah. making. So come on down to Boomba's, hang out with us, like our buddy Jacob Sane, one of the hot read uh podcast horsemen of the uh, hot read apocalypse. There you go. He's here with us. He was the first person to show up, and thus is getting free food. First person to show up and say, hey, which was Jacob, gets a free gift card. And uh, we're going to be doing that a number of times throughout 
the season on Thursdays. So Jacob, thank you for joining us. Anybody else that, that chooses to come hang out, the three of us will be watching Thursday night football along with whoever else becomes our friends night at the bar, hanging out, watching the giants and the 49ers and hoping and praying we can find, maybe we'll just be looking for a betting edge to make it interesting. Um, or you'll get a little Danny Dimes Thursday night superhero magic. That's that's really all we're hoping for here because there's some blowout potential in tonight's matchup. I, I would agree. It, it is not. I think we're a little bit spoiled with the first two. I think we got a great matchup in week one between Detroit and Kansas City. Sure. And then last week, once again, just like two what were supposed to be high-powered offenses. And now we get to this part of the slate for Thursday night football where it's a little questionable. We had a couple of close games. We're, we're due for a not-so-close game. Yeah, well, let's hope it is close. Let's hope it is, but it won't be shocking if it's yes. not. Um, yeah, if you're watching with us live, thank you. Appreciate you coming and hanging out with us. Do me a quick favor. Like this post if you're on Twitter or Facebook. Like this if you're on uh, the, the live stream on YouTube. Send the link to a friend. We want to get as many eyeballs on this show live as possible. And then if you're on Twitter or on Facebook, head on over to the YouTube live stream, Hot Read Podcast live stream on the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page. Make sure you're subscribed at Broadway Sports Media on YouTube and then find this live stream. And in the comment section of that video is where you'll be able to participate in today's conversation. Now, JT, we have some, some stats and figures that I want to start off our Saints. Or, goodness, not Saints. That was week one. Our uh, Browns Titans preview this week. And we're going to talk a lot about matchups of strength and matchups of weakness, which we've done each week. But this week in particular, I think both offense versus defense matchup um, both ways are a matchup of strength and weakness. I think that both defenses have the upper hand on both offenses, um, but in different ways. And so we'll break that down in detail. But overall, my 10,000 foot view opinion on this game and on the Browns is that evaluating them is made relatively difficult to me, at least through just two weeks of the season by the fact that they have only played division rivals. And we talk all the time about how divisional games, there's a lot of, you know, weird magic voodoo. Just, it's just, they're strange. They always end up closer than they probably should be. These coaches and teams know each other so well and build their rosters specifically designed to beat one another that you get, outcomes different than what you'd expect against any other rival in the league, any other, any other matchup. And so with the Browns having in week one played the, the bad version of the Cincinnati Bengals. And then in week two playing the Steelers on that Monday night game last week, uh, earlier this week, rather, we think we know what they are, but they've only played fellow AFC North teams. And so for that reason, everything that I have to say about them from an evaluation standpoint comes with an asterisk. I, I think we may find out this week, this week may be the best representation of what this team is of the first three weeks for the Browns because of that reason. And I think so too. I think it, it really might be a get right game for Deshaun Watson or it needs to be for him. It, it certainly needs to. Um, There's no doubt about that. Because you are going up against an opponent that hasn't game plan for you. I think outside of the uh, the uh, the division there. Right. But like this is a, this is a defense that... Deshaun Watson, whether it is... He has plenty of experience. He has plenty of experience right? going up against this Titans team. So if he can't do it against a team that he's had experience against, like when it, when is it going to happen? Right. And we'll talk more about Deshaun and his issues uh, as a Brown a little bit later. But some numbers. Kevin Stefanski, head coach of the Browns, 
He is 6-0 and in his career for all of his shortcomings as the Browns coach so far. He is 6-0 and against the AFC South, including having gone 1-0 and against the Titans. Titans fans will remember, not last season, but the year before, one of the Titans' five losses that year when they ended up going on to become the one seed in the AFC was at home to the Browns in a game where Baker Mayfield came out. And the, the, the play that stuck in my mind from that game was a just bomb, I think, on the first play of a drive. Um, to Donovan Peoples-Jones up the sideline. And, and that was kind of what encapsulated that first half. The Browns, I think, had – they certainly had more than 30 points in that first half. They ended up scoring north of 40 in that game. The Titans made it look closer than it was by scratching and clawing and making it – I think they got within one score by the end of the game. But the Browns came out and bludgeoned the Titans in the first half, and it was too much for them to come back from. That's not something I think we're expecting to happen in this game, just because the landscape of the Browns and the Titans both have changed pretty dramatically since then. But Stefanski has had a lot of experience and success against AFC South teams. Mike Vrabel on the other side of the coin, two and six versus the AFC North. I didn't go and look this up, but I, I would wager that maybe his worst record against any of the divisions in the NFL. You don't see many Mike Vrabel stats where he is two and six against any team or against the spread or in any capacity. He's typically a 500 or better coach when it comes to record against teams in the league. So two and six against the AFC North. He has gone one and one against the Browns. So they lost that game two years ago, three, uh, uh, no, four years ago, the last season when the Titans went into the year with Marcus Mariota as their head coach or as their uh, starting quarterback, that opener, when it was that first year that the Browns had Baker, they, I think they had gone and gotten OBJ by then. They still had Jarvis Landry. And that was the year where all summer long we were talking about hyping up these Browns. You know, Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. They've got Nick Chubb on the like. This team finally is coming out of the dregs of the NFL. They're going to be good this year. So sleeper Super Bowl team. Like this is their year. The Titans came out and hung forty on them in Week One, and it was, I think, the best Marcus Mariota performance of the year of his final. He played in, I think, three or four games that year before getting benched for Ryan Tannehill. But both of these teams, their last two matchups have have come on surprise bludgeonings of, of each other. Uh, the Titans were supposed to get beat up by the Browns, and they beat up on the Browns. And the Browns were supposed to get beat up by the Titans, and they beat up on the Titans. And so this game, uh, maybe that's the case. I would imagine it is a happy medium. I think that this is going to be – I know our, our buddies at a football show, Braden Gall and Zach Lyons, earlier today – we're talking about this game potentially being a rock fight, being a knockdown, drag out, ugly, you know, 14, 19, 20 to 22 kind of game that comes down to um, which defense had a pivotal turnover, um, which offense is able to connect on one or two deep shots, which was the case for the Titans last week. It would not surprise me at all if it's one of those ugly, ugly games, the kind of game that Mike Vrabel intentionally tries to play in each week, thrives in. He loves to drag his opponent into hell with him and make a, a game as muddy and gross as possible. That's kind of what I'm anticipating from this game. Again, that this is just our 10,000-foot view of the game. Is that what you're thinking is going to happen, or are you leaning any blowout potential in this one? I, It's hard for me to see any blowout potential with this team. So you're talking about two, just because of the offense. Two, two of the top three defenses in this game, I think. Are, are are in this game and like you said the offenses are nowhere near that top caliber right. of the of the nfl so this is going to, i think i would be shocked if if either team gets over maybe like 24 points in this game because i think it's going to be a, a lower scoring bout um obviously these are two teams that are designed by the run and when both teams are really good against the run 
it, it forces a team to kind of it cancels out. It, it cancels out and right. it makes them do different things that they wouldn't do normally. So it, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup, I think, for both uh, offensive play callers as well, not just the teams. Sure. Um, let's talk about the quarterbacks a little bit. Deshaun Watson, who is a, a big area of focus in this game, especially with Nick Chubb going down for the year. Of 34 quarterbacks that, that meet these qualifications, um, there have been 30. So let me rephrase this. <laughs> there have been 34 quarterbacks that meet the qualifications of having 250 or more dropbacks since the beginning of last season, since the beginning of 2022. In that group, Deshaun Watson ranks 34th, dead last in EPA per pass play and 29th percent in success rate overall. So since the beginning of 2022, and again, he didn't start last season. He's serving that suspension. He played six or seven games last year. I think he played seven games last year. Um, but, he, you know, he had he had a handful of games last year. He's now two games into 2023. So he's, he's nearing or at that 10-game mark since his issues. He's been among or arguably the very worst quarterback by efficiency metrics in that time span. However, against the Titans in his time in Houston, which you have to segregate these things because Houston, Deshaun Watson and Cleveland, Deshaun Watson so far have, they've had practically nothing in common with one another. They've yeah, been completely different types of quarterback, completely different caliber quarterbacks. He's had much more success um, and I've got some numbers on that in a little bit, but that gets us into a matchup of strength in this game. And the first one I want to talk about, I, I said it would be defense strength on offensive weakness. Let's talk about the Titans uh, strength side of this. So the Titans defense is their strength against this Cleveland offense, in my opinion, not, not a, a thing that I think anybody disagrees with. This Titans run defense is where I want to start. And some numbers that we were talking about on social media earlier today, the Titans run defense. Historic tear right now. A rolling 17-game season. So the first two games of this year and the last 15 games of last year is what we're talking about. No defense in the league has been better against the run over that 17-game stretch since 2007. They've allowed in those 17 games just 2.9 yards per carry over that time span. The only team um, since 2007 through a 17-game sample size to allow less than three yards per attempt. They actually hold two of the top three rolling 17 game um, run game efficiencies since 2007. They are the first and third teams, um, both being in recent memory. So uh, they, they've been fantastic. They're allowing just under 65 yards per game uh, rushing total to their opponents in that 17 game stretch. Um, just, just over a thousand yards through 17 games. They've been fantastic. Breaking that down even further, they've had eight consecutive games now where they've held their opponent to 100 or fewer rushing yards. This year, the average is 65 games or 65 yards per game. Last year, it was 77 yards per game. The Browns, and this is where you, you kind of an immovable object meets a uh, what's the, what's the saying? Unstoppable, a, an unstoppable force, force meets meets an immovable an object. object. I got it backwards. Yes. Uh, there you go. The, the immovable object here is the Browns, who through two games lead the NFL. In rushing yards, they have 404 yards on the season, a 202-yard-per-game split so far. You have to wonder if that's a result of having Nick Chubb and being one of the few teams in the league that is built around the run. Very possible. I think another element to that is they have faced two pretty poor run defenses. The Steelers, for all of their defensive accolades, they, they their weakness is in the run game. 
the Bengals defense week one was kind of struggling to stay afloat in general. So I think that this will be by far, not even remotely close, the best run defense they've faced, but they have been really, really fantastic on the ground with and without Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb goes down uh, in the first half. I don't know if it was the first quarter or not. Uh, I think at the very end of the first quarter in, in that Monday night week two game, Jerome Ford takes over for three fourths of the game and ends up with over a hundred yards himself, 6.6 yards per carry in that game. Uh, 106 yards on 16 carries, the specific number. So will having no Nick Chubb matter? I think it will, but this is reminiscent to me of the Titans when they lost Derrick Henry in 2021. They play those final eight or nine games of the year without him, and it's a a split backfield of Deontay Foreman and Dontrell Hilliard, and there was a lot of question as to whether or not the Titans' offense, which through the first half of the year had been built around and succeeded – based on their running ability would be able to continue that without Henry. And then through the rest of the season, they continued. I mean, it was maybe like a five, 10% efficiency drop off, but they remained one of, if not the best running team in the league down that back half stretch with those two guys. And, and it, it was one of the examples in, in recent memory in the league of just how much, yes, having an important running back can matter, but when your team you know, the sum of the parts is, is predicated on built around running the ball. You don't necessarily need anything better than an an above average or average runner. And in Jerome Ford, and now with, with um, uh, hunt in the backfield there as a, as a tandem, I think that committee is going to be able to, I mean, I'm not going to say as efficient as Nick Chubb was, but I'd say that they don't suffer more than a 5%, 10% drop off in their rush rushing efficiency. I don't think this offense is going to fundamentally change the way that they operate. No, I would agree. And just pointing out like in the comments here, Tim Meadows over on our Facebook page on Broadway sports media um, said that the third week Titans won't play a first uh, third week in a row that the Titans won't play a first string running back. Right. Very true. However, to your point, I I don't think, I I don't think this is just a trend to be like, Oh, okay. So we're going to be fine. No, Jerome Ford and this Kareem hunt tandem, are the best of the of the three teams yes. to not have a first string back. You had Jamal Williams in and that nobody first else, game, just Jamal, right? Um, which who, he's always been a guy who's just been built on volume, volume between the tackles. Josh goal, goal Joshua line. Kelly, yep. like they didn't. I, I don't think the Chargers even really thought the run game was going to be a factor. Well, they, last they week. didn't. They didn't really commit to it because they were having so much success through the air. Yes, and, and then um, and then this week you come up against uh, Ford and Hunt who are good runners. These are guys that that have, throughout their careers so far, shown that they can be serviceable and have that big playability that I think the other two did not. And this is the first team, to your point, that is built on running the ball. Yes. Those first two teams, it's an element of their offense, but not the emphasis of their offense. So uh, the other reasons why I don't think that they'll change fundamentally, at least in this game, the way that they operate on offense, they are on a short week. You know, you come yep. off a, a brutal, bloody Monday night game where you suffer a lot of injuries and guys are getting banged up. You don't have a, a ton of time to reinvent the wheel. And they also are in a situation with a very expensive quarterback who you you don't really trust to, to take over much more. You, you hardly trust him with the responsibilities he currently has, right? I mean, he's struggling to to swim in an offense that is predicated on the run, what what makes you think that giving him more responsibility, asking him to shoulder the weight of this offense because you no longer have your your star running back, 
what makes you think that that's going to be anything but a worse <laughs> recipe for success? Um, and so th those those reasons, I think, make it pretty clear. This team is going to continue to run the ball. Um, and I think that with Ford, they'll be able, I mean, against the Titans in particular, maybe not because of how stout the run defense is, but through the rest of the year, I do think they'll be successful doing it and they're going to continue to commit to it. Um, some other notes on this game, just, just got to throw it out there for the, the reunion factor. Jack Conklin, former Titans right tackle. He won't be playing in this game. He won't be playing in any game the rest of this year. I don't know if Titans fans are aware he went down with a season-ending injury in week one. And our guy, DeWandre the Giant, DeWan Jones, fourth-round pick um, out of Ohio State, took over at right tackle, has been fine, has been serviceable for them through uh, just a you know, game and a, a half or so now um, for a fourth-round tackle. Um, he's kind of he, – he, he's actually – he's looked a lot in terms of success like NPF did in the first half or the first – five or six games of last season where he was a late round tackle and was impressive out of the gate. So um, it's certainly a, a plus for them. I think the pass rushers on the Titans defense are going to have more success against Tim than they would against a, an all pro such as Jack Conklin, but he's been a serviceable guy. Some of those numbers that I, I was talking about with Watson against the Titans, he's three and three career, uh, 50% win win percentage against the Titans as a as a Texan, a 73% completion percentage, which is very good. 17 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio, nine yards per attempt, and a QBR of 119.2. So despite having only one half of his games against the Titans, he he's had <laughs> more success than not. He's kind of torched them. And Titans fans, uh, I, I'm sure, can are are now as I'm, as I'm making this mental picture, thinking of at least one or two games where Deshaun Watson had his way with the Titans and against the secondary, there's going to be some PTSD there. Um, again, he's a different player. And, and we're going to talk some more in a minute when we talk about the Cleveland offense, just how much he's changed. But against this Titans team, I don't think any Titans fan would truly be shocked if, like you said at the top of the show, this is the Deshaun Watson, the lights kind of come on game. I'm not saying I'm expecting it, would, it, it to happen, it would but would, cathartic, would it surprise you? Yeah, it'd be so cathartic that way. Like, Deshaun would it be Watson, cathartic? Is that the word you're looking for? I think so. Ironic? Cathartic is like calming and pleasing. Like for Browns fans, Oh, for, for Browns, like, yes. No, there would be cathartic. No, like, yes, okay. It, like for, for at least Deshaun Watson, that he, finds, he yep. finds like a, a similar, um, this team, and he's like, oh, and it just kind of sets something off in him. And it would just be the total thing that would happen. It'd be the opposite of cathartic for yeah, Titans It would be fans. the opposite of cathartic for <laughs> Titans tr triggering. fans. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. However, you just, like, you never know. You know, yeah, you like, know. and it, 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 he's got to figure it out sometime. And if it comes this week, we'll see. One more note on the Titans defense facing this Browns offense. Um, and this is a note uh, stat that Zach Lyons mentioned earlier today. So shout out to him for finding this one. But I, I think it's important and worth mentioning. The Browns so far this season have allowed the seventh highest rate of pressure when not blitzed. So so sending sending four um, against three or four against this Browns offensive line has resulted in, in pressure, the seventh highest rate out of any NFL team. And we know that the Titans defense, Shane Bowen's defense, he's not super fond on blitzing. I mean, he loves to implement simulated pressures, sending guys um, from unexpected places and, and, and utilizing stunts to get guys free. But in terms of sending more guys to get the blitz, that's not really his cup of tea. He does it situationally, um, but doesn't really wear it out at a very low rate in the NFL. 
So this is a, a good matchup for him in that regard. The Browns have allowed a lot of non-blitz pressure this season. The Titans are going to try to exploit that in week three. Now, let's talk about the Browns' uh, offense. Or, excuse me. Last, last note on the Browns' offense before we talk about their defense, that is. Deshaun Watson, this is something that I was listening to Greg Cosell from NFL Films talking about this game earlier this week. And he was talking about how he has evaluated Deshaun Watson's level of play since returning to the league. He makes the point that Watson's not performing poorly from an evaluation standpoint. He's not failing to see what is given to him. He's not seeing the field poorly. It's it's literally just a matter of execution. It's his footwork. It's his mechanics. It's his accuracy that have all fallen off since returning and becoming a Brown and he's just missing throws. And so that's something that, um, you know, I don't know if that's, I would argue that that is indicative of a guy that is less likely to suddenly have the lights turn on. You know, when you're not seeing the field or you're seeing ghosts, a guy like Ryan Tannehill in week one, who we suspect of just not seeing things super clearly, seeing ghosts in the pocket, you're able to kind of flip that on a dime in week two. If your mechanics are off, if you're just missing throws, if your accuracy is wrong, and you're seeing the field and you just can't put the ball where you want to put the ball, that's something that's a lot harder to just all of a sudden get. It's more, it's more likely to be incremental, I think. And so that is something that um, maybe should be reassuring the Titans fans, in my opinion, if, if you're worried about him suddenly figuring it all out in this week three matchup. Yeah, and then we can move on to a matchup of weakness here, which is the inverse of what we just talked <laughs> right. about, which is kind of like uh, like we said at the top of the show. It is, it is too... Um, what can be good offenses, but have been subpar so far. I would argue that the, the Titans' advantage is bigger than the, the Browns' advantage because I think that the, the difference between the Titans' D and Cleveland O is a wider gap than the Titans' D and the, the, the or excuse me, the Cleveland D and the, and the Titans' offense. Yeah. I think that the Titans' offense is, and this is, you know, I'm expecting them to get incrementally better and more fluid in this Tim Kelly system each and every week. And I'm expecting Ryan Tannehill's level of play to be average and not have these kind of streaky up and down outlier games. So all of that is important. If, you know, if Ryan Tannehill goes out and throws three interceptions again, then that, that, that changes things. But assuming he has a better game than week one and probably a worse game in terms of efficiency than week two, he has an average Ryan Tannehill game. I think this will be the third, um, you know, in the third game, the, the best of the three, performances for the offense. I think that may be the case each and every week. They have a better week than the last for these first couple games. We talked a lot in the summer about how don't be surprised if it's clunky to start. You know, it's a, it's a lot of new pieces and it's a new offensive coordinator and it's a brand new offense. Those are three brand new elements that are going to take some getting used to. You know, even the best to ever do it. Tom Brady comes to the Buccaneers. They are seven and seven by their by. It's really rocky to start. They lose some games. They had no business losing. Tom Brady holding up a three in that Bears game on, on Thursday Night Football, I think it was, where he thought it was third down, it was fourth, and it was the end of the game. Like the, That's what sticks in your mind. And then they come back from their week 14 bye. They don't, they don't lose a game the rest of the, the season. They go and win the Super Bowl at home. Um, I'm not saying that's what the Titans are going to do, but you can just see how sometimes all those new moving pieces, those new cogs in the machine, take some time to get rolling. So I think the Titans offense will be better than the Cleveland offense because unlike the Titans offense, Cleveland's offense isn't super new or different. They've been trying to make this version of their team work from a Deshaun standpoint because the run game works. We know this. It's the Deshaun element um, opening up the, you know, the true potential of, on paper, what they think this offense can be a dynamic, 
you know, can kill you on the ground or through the air type of top of the league offense. They've not unlocked that half yet. And I, I think that that is going to remain the case as we talked about in, in the first segment for the foreseeable future until slash if Deshaun Watson figures it out. So there's a video we have that I want to play that, that is kind of a precursor to this conversation about the Titans offense and the Cleveland defense. Um, Jim Schwartz, people should know, is the new defensive coordinator for the Browns with the Titans for the past two seasons, has been in the NFL, around the NFL in uh, multiple capacities. Most recently, before the Titans, he was uh, the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia. A lot of people know him as the head coach of the Lions for a number of years with Stafford and Megatron. Uh, this is a guy that's been around the league and is a fantastic defensive mind, and that was once again illustrated by Titans offensive or defensive coordinator Shane Bowen today at the Titans headquarters. He was asked in his press conference about what Jim Schwartz meant to him in the two years that he had him here, not only as a member of his staff, but really as a mentor to him. And here were some of the really kind words that Shane Bowen had to say about Jim Schwartz. Uh, he was uh, extremely valuable to me. Um, just a great football mind, obviously one of the better defensive minds in the game. Um, and I think his, his knowledge of offensive football from being a head coach and being around the league for so long, um, he was always a great sounding board for me, always coming to me with ideas, things we can do differently. And I mean, it's not just the stuff on the field, it's the day-to-day -day aspect of running a meeting, um, things to kind of approach with the unit going into game week. Like there, were, there was a bunch of different aspects that he helped me with. Um, I miss him. I do. Happy for him. Obviously, he, he deserves what he's doing right now, and it's no, by no surprise they're doing what they're doing defensively. But can't say enough about Jim and what he was to me these past two years. Clearly, Jim Schwartz meant a lot to Shane Bowen, and I know a lot of Titans fans wondered aloud this summer. Is the Titans defense going to drop off without, you know, there's a lot of questions over the last two years. Jim Schwartz, the shadow coordinator, how much are he, <laughs> is he pulling the strings behind the scenes? Uh, obviously, Shane Bowen has been perfectly fine without him. But the Schwartz impact on this Browns defense has been dramatic already in a number of different um, ways. Met, you know, the, in terms of their metrics from the end of last season to the first two games of this season, they have taken a significant jump. And. They've had for a couple seasons now, in my opinion, they've had the guys on paper. They've had the personnel necessary to be a good offense and or defense rather, and they just haven't quite put it together. I'm not saying Jim Schwartz has through just two games. Two games is not a sample size, but it seems like if they keep this up, he has made a dramatic difference. We talked a lot about the Titans run defense. Let's talk about the Browns run defense. They have been number two in the NFL so far this season. They've been fantastic as well. Now, it's it's easier to believe maybe that's an element uh, an element of having only played two games, um, having played two run offenses that aren't great. You know, Cleveland's run offense not fantastic. They're pretty middle of the road usually, and then Pittsburgh's run offense. Najee Harris <laughs> just casually the slowest running back in the league, one of the worst starting running backs in the league in my opinion. I'm I'm really not a Najee guy, and, and their run offense was pretty non-existent on Monday night football. So this will be the best run offense they've faced as well. Ty J Spears, Derrick Henry, those two are going to be their biggest test of the season. But so far this year, they've been on the Titans heels as a run defense. And it's been very, very good, but it's their red zone defense that sticks out JT. And this is, this is a stat that I, I came across and put on social media earlier this week. 
And again, it is absolutely <laughs> reflective more of the fact that we've only played two games than this defense is elite. But through two games, they've been fantastic as a red zone defense because no offense they faced has gotten into the red zone once. Neither the, the Bengals nor the, the Steelers offense operated from inside Cleveland's 20-yard line. Not a single snap was taken. Um, all of the touchdowns in both of those games scored on Cleveland were defensive scores or uh, the, the one deep bomb. The punt return. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the punt return by, by Charlie Jones. Well, no. So the punt return by Charlie Jones and then the deep bomb on Monday night to um, uh, Pickens. Uh, yes, George Pickens, which was a 70 plus yard um, just X play, broken play. So inside the red zone, we don't, I guess we technically don't know what the Cleveland's defense looks like. But unlike the Titans, who very bend don't break, like between the 20s, they're, they're able to operate just keeping a, an offense in front of them and then becoming an impenetrable wall when they get backed up inside their own red zone. Cleveland's defense so far has just been impenetrable everywhere. They've not allowed a team to operate inside or outside of the 20-yard lines, and so the Titans are looking to become the first team that they face this season to get into the red zone. I don't think that that is a stat that is indicative of anything more than facing two bad offenses in, in the first two weeks, but um, I, I, I won't take it completely away from them. It is a testament to the fact that their defense has been stout everywhere on the field. And I think their secondary for sure. I think it's going to be a huge test this week, not just for Derrick Henry and Tyshea Spears to get past that run defense, but then also Traylon Burks and DeAndre Hopkins. And they're going to go up against the best secondary that they've gone up against yet. Yep. Maybe might argue a secondary that is above league average so far. I would, I, I would, I would, I would say, say case, yeah. the Saints had Marshawn Lattimore, but outside of that, there was really wasn't a lot there for them. Um, but now they're going up against guys like uh, Denzel Ward, Grant Delpit, a lot of guys who are really shining early on in the season who, for better or for worse, whether it was weather or not, shut down T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, two, two receivers that I think are miles ahead of what the Titans have right now. Yep. So they're really going to have to put the work in um, when, it, when it comes down to it this week. Yeah, one more note, and this is some, just a, a quirk of, not a quirk of, but a, a, an element of the way that the Browns play um play defense and i forgot to mention this uh earlier but but they play a nine wide alignment for their ends when they are th their standard defense with the four-man front their ends are lined up in the in the nine position wide and they don't switch so you're going to see zadaria smith on chris hubbard all day and you're going to see miles garrett on andre dillard all day which should concern you if you're a Titans fan. Um, I actually am less concerned about – I think Chris Hubbard will be able to – I mean, maybe maybe the wheels fall off because we expected him to be the weakness here, and he's been, <laughs> if anything, a little bit of a strength, the Titans offense. He's been, like, really reliable through two weeks. I'm still kind of thinking that it might all fall apart here eventually. The old man, the veteran, like, maybe he's just on a heater, and, you know, he gets nicked up a little bit, and then it goes downhill quick. Not wishing that upon him by any means, but I, of course, yeah. you know, I want to see it more than twice. Um, I, I do think that he'll have a better time against Zedarius Smith, who's a very good pass rusher, than Andre Dillard will have against Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett is a better pass rusher than Zedarius Smith, and Andre Dillard is the weakness of this Titans offensive line. Through two weeks, he has been the only consistently bad element of the Titans offense. Now, to be fair, I, I did see some folks earlier this week being like, Andre Dillard, his PFF score is higher than it should have been. Why, why are they... He's been good in run in the run game. He's been actually one of the better Titans offensive linemen as a run blocker. 
he's kind of the only guy that this Titans team went out and got this offseason to add to this line that was it fitting within their old mold of offensive linemen, guys that are are road grading blockers in the run game and uh guys that we're gonna you know we're gonna try to figure out how to to scheme them up for the for the pass protection. That's more Andre Dillard's game so far. And he's he's been playing that out on the field through two weeks. Um Miles Garrett, they're gonna I mean it's gonna it's a big Trayvon Wesco game. It, Trayvon Wesco is gonna need to chip or be you know just shoulder to shoulder, butt to butt right there on the left end with Andre Dillard. Um, and the, even the two of them against Miles Garrett, I at best that's an even matchup. I might still give the edge to Miles Garrett because he's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Um, so yeah, the, that's that's my thoughts on on these two matchups of of strength for both teams. Uh, ultimately, um, not uh, I don't want to say it's a boring matchup because it's it's not. It's an interesting one, but from a, a pregame evaluation standpoint, there's not a ton to get into. It's pretty self-explanatory. Defense on offense, both teams are going to enjoy that. It's probably not going to be super high scoring. Deshaun Watson's a big question mark. And then outside of that, it's kind of the, it's kind of what we're looking at here. It's no Miami versus LA Chargers. I'll give you that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It is not that. It is probably the. Two if you're teams. here for fireworks, you're in the wrong place, partner. <laughs> this is this is you get in the mud and you go five miles an hour, and because that's what it's going to be Rock all fight. day. Rock of course, fight. Yep. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want any other game in the great city of Cleveland. I feel <laughs> it's like fitting for this um, the, the fine city of Cleveland. Which we, is we do. We do high high hyperbole. Uh, some some comments here okay. before we move on sure. here. Two from Tim Lee, which. The first one, he said, uh, seems like it'll be low-scoring game no matter how you slice it. Biggest difference now in previous Tannehill years is a reliable kicker, and with Ackerman's special teams on the up, it might be the difference. Yeah, I mean, the Titans special teams has been very good. They've really only made that one mistake so far in New Orleans, allowing that punt to be blocked, and that was just a a missed blocking assignment. It's (laughs) sneaky, and this is always the case. Like Special teams, in a lot of ways, is like offensive line. You hear all the time about offensive linemen when they're playing well, you're not thinking about them. They get no praise. It's kind of a thankless job when they're put, when you, you only notice offensive line as a, a casual spectator when they're playing poorly with special teams. It's very easy to also forget about when they're playing well outside of when your field goal kicker is, you know, making a, you know, 59 yard completion or, or whatever it may be, or, you know, it's kick, it kick is good from 59 yards or you have a, a stud in Ryan Stonehouse and wow, a 77 yard kick. That's incredible. Outside of those kind of plays, or the occasional, I guess, return kick, with the Titans, it's not been a bunch of explosives. It's just been reliable. It's been good. And that's something that Titans fans can't take for granted because it's not been that way for a while. Yeah, They've got a reliable punter. They've got a reliable kicker. They've got a reliable returner. Those are Two of those three things were big, fat question marks coming into this season. Um, now, the reliable returner did get banged up today, which we'll talk about in the injury report. But uh, on the whole, outside of this game in particular, this season they're in a much better place. So Tim, I completely agree. I think that, you know, if they continue to play at that level and then make a couple of plays, a Nick Folk game winner, I think is absolutely not out of the question in this game. Um, I, I think that he's going to once again, have to make a couple kicks, especially if this saints or saints, gosh, this Cleveland defense is as stout as they've been in the first two weeks. Um, and they, they keep the Titans out of the red zone. You may see a couple 50 plus yard kicks from Nick Folk that he's going to have to make. Yeah. And then one more question here from Tim Lee as well. He says, how much do you think the big plays led up by, I'm, I'm assuming he, he means the Titans secondary right. is due to scheme versus lack of execution slash personnel. I, I don't have a, an issue with the scheme. Um, I, I, here's the thing. 
when the especially when the Titans are are missing key cogs in the secondary wheel, um, which we're we're hopeful that Christian Fulton and Amani Hooker will be back this week. So that that obviously makes things easier. The, you're you're able to you know when you're missing those guys, you're forced to do things scheme wise that are preventative. You know you're you're having to play Trey Avery out there, and he gets picked on 15 times in week two, like he did against the Chargers. There was a lot of soft coverage there. There was a lot of hey Trey, just don't get burned. Just don't get beat. You know, if they're going to get three, four yards on the completion, just be a solid tackler, be a, a, a be sound in your assignment, and don't get burned. That's what they're expecting from him. So, like, almost, you know, the shortcomings there are by design a little bit, trying to mitigate your risk. When you have all of your guys, we, we've not we've seen one game where they had all their guys where they they played pretty poorly, in my opinion. We've seen a second game where they didn't have all their guys where they actually played better. You see some some really really nice performance. My my favorite. Um, maybe not favorite, but the, the, the guy that I was most impressed with um, based on watching it live the first time and then going back and rewatching it during the week was Roger McCreary in the slot. Really fantastic game from him. I thought Sean Murphy Bunting also had a really, really nice game. Those two guys are, um, you know, one being a new addition to this team and one coming off of his rookie year where he was kind of up and down. If those two can play at a really high level and Christian Fulton can stay healthy, which is a Big fat if it's the Spider-Man meme. That if is doing yeah. a lot of work there. You've got a really nice three. Um, and with Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard both on the field, they have on paper again, on paper, they have the capability to change some things scheme-wise from what they've had to do a lot of the last two years, where they've been missing personnel and having to mitigate their risk and play a little bit softer and 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 play, something that gets yelled a lot in Titans practice during camp in particular. Know who you are. Coaches are yelling at guys, know who you are. And when they have personnel shortcomings on the on the secondary side of things, they they do a good job of knowing who they are and not getting burned for the most part. I'm excited to see this group this week, assuming that Hooker and Fulton are back. Another crack of the bat, another, another swing at, can they play a little bit tighter? Can they run some more press man? Can they play more physical back there and, and make some big plays? you know get, manage a turnover or two they have again on paper they have the ability to do that we're yet to see it so um i've already forgotten the question i i to to roundabout way to answering this question for tim it is execution and personnel much more than it is scheme I, i've not and i'm if you don't want to take my word for it i've talked to our like our buddy james foster who understands scheme way better than i have talked to our buddy stony keeley who understands x's and o's much better than i i do they they're kind of in the same boat it's not a scheme issue. It's it's a personnel and 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 execution issue for the most part. Ready is that to it? move on? Yep. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Um, all right, so that is it on our game preview for Titans Browns. Let's get to some news with producer JT before we get to the best bet gauntlet. JT. Yeah, we can start off with the uh, Titans Thursday injury report here, starting off with the guys who still did not practice today. That would include linebacker Luke Gifford, cornerback Anthony Kendall, offensive lineman Peter Skaronsky, and then also ending up on not practicing today, Derek Henry with a toe injury designation slash rest. Obviously, it's pretty much certain that we will not see Peter Skaronsky once again this week. Right. Um, Thoughts for, and prayers to the appendectomy experts yes. <laughs> that were very confident he'd be back after a week. Um, that's going to be, and I mean, really, if if you continue to see nice play in relief um, from, from, from Dylan Radens, you're you know you may take an extra week here to you know just get him right, get him back to to full speed, um, which is a luxury that they now have. 
Titans and offensive line luxuries aren't something that we came into the season expecting. That's a, a nice positive that they've they've developed. No, I say that now. Watch Ravens have a nightmare week. Um, if you can play like you played in week one for the next couple of weeks, I think you'll see this week of Dylan Raidens, and I kind of think you'll see next week of Dylan Raidens. I'm not not an appendectomy expert, not a doctor. <laughs> this is a guess. You could see him back next week, Skaronsky. You could see him back the following week. I would be shocked if he is not back by week six in London by Baltimore. I would guess the most likely scenario is you see him back in week five against the Colts, but um, him showing back up next week would not be shocking. But yes, to, to, to focus back on this week, Frabel practically said on Wednesday, early in the week, way earlier than he typically commits to anything injury-wise and who's available-wise, he pretty much said without saying it explicitly, Skaronsky's not going to be out there. Um, you mentioned Henry, who today was a DNP. Some people were overreacting when the practice reports came out about him not being out there today. Oh, watch out. He was limited yesterday with the toe. Always, you gotta, you got to learn to pump the brakes. The, the two hours between the – or the one hour between the practice reports from us in the reporting pool – who we didn't didn't see out there, and then the actual explanation on the injury report comes out. Just chill in that hour, like don't jump to conclusions because today's a perfect example. He's not out there today. Still doesn't need with a toe injury for this week, but highlighted, designated this week or th this day, he did not practice because of rest. It was a veteran rest day. He didn't see a number of the veterans out there like DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I just a lesson to be learned there. So I'm, I'm not concerned about Derrick Henry. I'm not concerned about DeAndre Hopkins. Just to just jump the gun here. Yeah, he was here. limited today after being full yesterday with an ankle. Um, I want to talk about these guys together because they're both guys that throughout their career in the NFL, DeAndre in particular, he has demonstrated how he is going to play on Sundays come hell or high water. If he physically can play in any capacity, he's shown that he's going to get himself to a place to play, whether that involves like last week, not really practicing all week with an ankle and everyone this, I mean, think back to this time last week. There was a lot of talk about how DeAndre, you know, he may not have in week two, that ankle may be sprained. He may be out for a couple weeks. We don't know. Then he plays the whole game and is a big contributing factor throughout the game. Didn't really show signs in that game of being banged up with that ankle. Yesterday, he's limited. So a, a step in the right direction from last week. Then today, he's a, a non-participant. I think you, you have a goldfish memory if you're concerned over this today. If, if, you, if we can take anything away from how he operated last week, I think that he's just resting. I have no reason personally from being in there and seeing him in the locker room this week. I have no reason to believe he won't be ready to go. Um, could it happen? Yes, I'm not going to rule it out, but I would be surprised if he's not out there on Sunday. Yeah, and then we can move on to the other guys who are limited today, including uh, Tier Tark, who returns to practice. So that is good news good for news. him there. Danico Autry continues to be limited with a foot injury. DeAndre Hopkins, like we just said, uh, nothing really too serious to worry about. And then the big one today, Kyrus Jackson, who has been a serviceable punt and kick returner um, this season so far, leaves practice during the middle of it with an ankle injury. Easton, more on uh, your thoughts on Kyrus Jackson, and then specifically with Autry and Tier Tart. What what do you what do you think about those guys? Well, the Jackson is at the bottom of your receiver depth chart. So the real concern is he is your returner, both on punt and kick duties. Having him not out there means you're going to have to look to guys like Tajay Spears, potentially call up a guy from the practice squad. Um, not the end of the world. He's been the best returner so far, and he's been reliable in the sense that even in heavily trafficked areas, which he got praise from his head coach earlier this week about how he's been really happy with, especially against that Chargers team that does a good job on their punt coverage of putting a guy in a lot of conflict and, and making him 
catch a, a fair catch through a lot of traffic. He did a good job as a young player, never in doubt, gets the ball, not worried about drops like we saw from Kyle Phillips last year around this time. Missing him, you're not missing out on a ton of return prowess. Like he's not taking these 15, 20 yards every time he catches the ball, but you are then, I think, more risking issues with holding on to the ball, you know, making sure you secure the ball on kickoffs, on punts, and your offense can get out there on the field. So that's a big deal. TR coming back, TR Tart, that is Tart, coming back with uh, that knee injury. Um, I think that he'll. He's another guy that I'd expect to work his way. I mean, again, Friday is the pivotal day, so always look for the Friday injury reports, but I'm expecting him to be back and ready to go this week. And then who was the last guy that I'm looking for? Oh, Harold Landry, limited with that hamstring. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that he's going to uh, going to play it. I don't have any personal inside information that, that leads me to believe he won't with that hamstring. I don't think it's a huge deal from what I've seen, from what they've showed us at practice. It doesn't look like he's, it's hampering him a ton. He still, of course, is dealing with that abdomen injury that he's healing from from the beginning of the season. And then, of course, the ACL that he's returning from from last summer. So a lot of reasons to excuse not peak Harold Landry right now. He just needs to get healthy and get back in the swing of things. His position coach talked today about how he's just getting back in the swing of things. So I'm not concerned about Harold Landry right now. Yeah, and then we finally have two other guys who are full participants for the second day in a row. The first one being cornerback Christian Fulton and then safety Amani Cooker. Hooker, Cooker. Uh, <laughs> which I was going to say Hooker with the concussion. There you go. That, that, that's what I was going for there. Out of those two guys, are you feel, are you feeling confident that they play this week? Yeah, I mean, Hooker, Vrabel said earlier in the week that he just needed a couple practices under his belt to technically clear concussion protocol. I'm mm-hmm. expecting tomorrow Vrabel to, to tell us that he has cleared it and it's good to go. With Fulton, I thought that he would play last week, so I really think he's going to play this week now that he's been full for yeah. two days. All right, we can move on to the Cleveland Browns report. Not too many things to report here. Pretty standard for them. We'll probably learn a lot more uh, tomorrow. But Amari Cooper coming back from a groin slash shoulder injury practiced in a limited fashion today. Uh, I'd be surprised if he's not playing this game. I think the biggest one so far still is Greg Newsom, the cornerback, who still has not practiced this week. Right. Um, so those two guys are probably the biggest ones. Anyone else on this list that you are super surprised Newsom's by? Newsom's the one that you're most concerned about not playing, right? Because Miles Garrett um, just getting some rest. Joel Petonio also just getting some rest. Zadarius Smith, their other edge rusher that pairs with Miles Garrett. He's got an ankle and thigh injury. He didn't practice on Wednesday, but was limited on Thursday, so he's trending in the right direction. Uh, certainly Greg Newsom, the, that cornerback young guy, uh, he's the one that you're concerned if you're a, a uh, Browns fan is, is not going to be playing in this game, but um, we'll see. Friday is the big is the big injury report for him. Yeah, moving on to just a couple of uh, roster moves here. The Titans add defensive lineman Jaleel Johnson to the practice squad. He was cut from the a- active roster earlier this week. Just kind of standard procedure, I think. There with there him. was a lot of moves. Uh, the three guys involved here. Really, the math all came down to Jaleel Johnson and Kyle Pecko switched spots. Kyle Pecco moved up from the practice squad to the active roster. Jaleel Johnson, younger player, greener player, um, wasn't being it wasn't an impact in games like Pecco has been as, as a relief guy on that defensive front. They move him down to the practice squad and they flip flop those spots. Yeah, and then we can talk about Titans kicker Nick Folk, who was named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. <laughs> Um, as I, as I saw, which is you hilarious, were, I, as you were putting on right. Twitter earlier uh, last week or about his performance right. the other week that it's funny that when he only kicks two field goals, one being a game winner, uh, he gets the AFC South or AFC special teams player of the week. 
Not when he kicks five field goals and scores an entire team's all their All points. of the points in week one. Yeah, the 31 and the 44-yard completion in week two is good enough. For, I mean, what what these – whoever I don't, I don't even know who awards these these accolades, but whoever makes these decisions, they're telling us the kicker kicker is a uh, – win, wins are a kicker stat. That's what it sounds like. You've heard that wins aren't a quarterback stat, which is true. They are apparently a kicker stat. So in yes. order to be a good kicker, you have to win games. Moving around to the rest of the AFC South here, Colts running back Evan Hall was placed on IR with a torn meniscus. Will miss the remainder of the season per, per Jordan Schultz. So tough loss once again for if a they, Colts if they uh, don't, running back depth. If they don't have Jonathan Taylor come back. Yes. I mean, they are they are up up a paddle up a creek without a, up a paddle without a creek. JT. <laughs> yep. Um, and then moving on, the Texans cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. injured his hamstring once again. Yeah. He could miss several weeks or be placed on IR. This one sucks yeah. because the, the Texans have had a lot of triage on the back end. They've already lost both starting safeties. Now they're start outside corner and Stingley, and then they're starting nickel. The first two weeks was out. It sucks that I was yeah. make some this season, but for Stingley in particular, I think he only played nine games in his rookie year last year, and then was out the rest of the year with this same hamstring. I'm now concerned that this hamstring is, is becoming like, it's kind of ruining his young career and he's such yeah. a fun player to watch. So it stinks for him and it stinks for the Texans. And finally, uncle Jimmy coming in with his week three wardrobe check. Once again, here, Jim Wyatt. Uh, Tim, the, the Titans will be wearing white jerseys with Navy blue pants and Navy socks in Cleveland. It's a classic away kit. All right. Is that it for the news, JT? Yeah, that'll be it. All right. That is JT with the news. And we are left just with our best bet gauntlet segment to get into today before we are done. JT, last week, you put up the first 5-0 and Sterling perfect uh, performance of the year. Congratulations to you. Thank you for carrying the show. The show as a whole, what are we? Uh, Twelve and eight, no, thirteen and seven on the season as a show. Seven, yep. You are at eight and two, a fantastic hot start. I am at six and six, clean slate, brand new ball game for me. Both at or above five hundred, and looking to make some picks this week in the best bet gauntlet. Reminder of the rules: JT and I each week go back and forth, picking five games each, draft style against the spread. JT, I get the honors this week as the loser last week. Finally, and for, for the first I, time in like 19 weeks. It's been a minute, so I'm excited to get to take the first pick. That's my consolation for having a, a bummer week last week, going two and three. My first pick, um, and we were talking before before the show today, this week's board, is it requires some intestinal fortitude. Yes, It requires um, just some hold your nose and and knock it back and and try not to think about it too much because it's gross and the board is not – I'm just – I'm not seeing – it's not that I'm not seeing it clearly. I'm seeing it clearly and it sucks. I hate these games. There's a lot of there's a lot of variance involved and these lines are, are not ideal for finding value. That being said, we did find some spots and the one that I'm going to start with going against the pros a little bit here. This is very much a public dog this week, but I – the public is right 40% of the time, JT. I'm taking Tennessee plus three and a half at Cleveland. It's been bouncing back and forth between three and three and a half because the pros love Cleveland here at three, which makes sense from a narrative standpoint. You are you're betting, you're betting the dip on the Browns coming off that Monday night game. A lot of pretty much exclusively negative um, narrative for, for them. And that's why the, the public is on Tennessee this week. It is a bounce back spot on paper for Cleveland. So getting the Titans at three and a half, getting that hook is important. Vrabel, we've said it once, we'll say it a million times. Fantastic as an underdog. The only 
coach in the NFL currently has a winning record all time against the spread as an underdog. Well, straight up as an underdog. Winning, well. oh yeah, it is, yes, exactly, exactly. A winning wing record against the spread and straight up as an underdog, um, and as a as an King underdog of, of three or more, he is. Uh, this is off the top of my head. I didn't write it down, so I might be off by a number. But I think he's nineteen seven and one, something like mm-hmm. that, as a uh, an underdog of, of seven or of three of, or three or more. So this is an auto bet each and every week whenever he is an underdog of three or more. I love Tennessee to. I, th- I mean, I think they're going to win this game outright. Truly, I do. But I, I do love them to not get beat by a touchdown or more than a field goal. I think that if they lose, it's by three. This is again, it's an ugly low-scoring game to me. I think the Tennessee plus three and the hook, three and a half. It's it's an auto bet. Yeah, I'm taking another line that we thought might have had some movement this week, but we 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 locked it in just in case. But you can still get it. Here. I think I, I'm confident it would have if not for the weather. Yeah, and weather will be a factor in this game. But I'm taking Buffalo minus six and a half going. To the Washington Commanders, I think weather will be a factor here, but I'm not. And by weather, we mean typhoon, typhoon, a hurricane, like gusting, bustling winds. But here's why I'm not too worried about it. Josh Allen, in 57 of his career games, uh, career games that he's won, he's won 43 of those 57 games by seven points or more. Yep. When the Buffalo Bills win, they win big. Yep. I like their run game better this year with James Cook, Damian Harris, and Fat Lat better than they have had a better running back room in the past couple of years. So I think it's the best they've had for sure. I I think they can get it done on the run on the ground. Even if it is wet, give me Buffalo to beat up on the commanders who I still don't think are a very good team. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Um, I I like, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm betting that as well. My second bet of the week, three best bet gauntlet. Give me Atlanta plus three and a half at the Detroit lions. This is as much a bet against Detroit as it is pro Atlanta. And listen, my mom grew up in Michigan, in Detroit, my home, my team, my team away from my team away from my team in the NFL growing up has been the lions. And it's, it's, they're easy to root for because they are a fun team. It's, it's fun to root for the underdog. It's fun to root for the team that has not enjoyed a lot of success. So this is not that I I like the lions this year. I'm excited about them and what MCDC is doing up there with the motor city kitties. That being said, they are currently dealing with a lot of key injuries that I think are being overlooked in this game. Whereas Atlanta is not. I'm going to rob St. Brown, banged up. Looks like he's going to go in this game, but not 100% to be sure. Um, their left tackle is probably going on IR. They've got a guard injured as well who may or may not play in this game. CJ Gardner Johnson in that secondary is done for the year, which was a big deal. He was a veteran presence that was kind of bringing that bad secondary from last year, uh, bringing them around to being a serviceable unit this year. He is gone. Um, David Montgomery, he's down for, for the foreseeable future, it looks like. And you're going to be dealing with rookie Jameer Gibbs, who has the juice and is impressive, but they've not they've not used him a lot recently. And and you know, usually that's there's a reason behind that. Um the Falcons are a team that has impressed me, JT. We've talked about this through the first two games. Pretty much everywhere besides quarterback, I've been impressed with them. Their secondary has left a little bit to be desired, but pretty much everywhere but quarterback, I've been impressed with what big art smith is doing down there in atlanta i i like them getting the hook here again plus three and a half as a road dog i'm a fan of the falcons can muddy this game up i think and win on the ground the 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 detroit run defense has been fine but not good and Bijan robinson has looked worth every every bit of uh capital that was spent on him in the draft he was worth that high round draft pick positional value be damned I, I think that he's going to be able to run all over this team and continue to look fantastic this is a, a kind of niche stat to be the cherry on top of this cake but 
Atlanta is the side here, in my opinion, because week three underdogs um, of three or more facing an opponent with an ATS against the spread margin, um, uh, negative against the spread margin. That is regularly in the last 17 games, not covering as opposed to covering. Those teams are 69, 31 and two against the spread. So kind of niche category, but the sample size is huge and the winning percentage is fantastic. 69, 31 and two ATS since 2005. And so because of that, because of the, the injuries that Detroit is dealing with right now, I think that Atlanta has decided to at worst lose by a field goal. My next pick here in the best bet, best bet gauntlet, best bet gauntlet. <laughs> um, is one that has been moving around a bunch. So I did lock it in earlier this week, mm-hmm. but it has come back down to this line a couple of times, but I'm going with new England minus two and a half going to the New York jets. I believe if you shop around, you can get that number right now. Yes. I, I, think. Not, I think not every book has it, but it's out there. We yeah. saw before the show, at least there were a couple of big books that had yeah, this. Line. I think it's on the Tennessee bet MGM. So if you use them, I'm also okay with taking them minus three in this game. I, either one, I'm just taking on if I can get under the field right. goal, like, even better, but a couple things on this game. Mac Mac Jones, who is not usually a good quarterback against the spread, mm-hmm. is four and zero against the spread versus the Jets. Uh, Zach Mac owns the Jets, and and Zach Wilson Science. is uh, 10, 19 and one against the spread. Zach Wilson owns nobody. Nobody. <laughs> right. um, and then in thirteen divisional games, Salah is three and ten straight up and six to seven against the spread. The Jets are three and four straight up at home and zero oh and six straight up on the road versus the AFC East. Of course, they are on the road this week. I I, I don't think Bill Belichick goes zero oh and three here. No, and I don't. I don't and, think so either. Um, especially since. He, the Patriots, I believe, have not lost to the Jets since 2015 uh, or 2016. One of those. I've not fact checked you on that, but I believe um, it. it's close. I wholeheartedly it, it's believe in the it. Teens. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in the teens. Um, but it's I like I, I like Bill Belichick to get the win here by a field goal or more. I'll be betting that with you as well. My third pick of the week three best bet got. I'm betting another big injury game. Give me Indianapolis getting eight points on the road at Baltimore. Two big reasons I like this line. The first is Baltimore's two wins so far have been pretty fake, in my opinion. I mean, they've been wins, but you add the context of week one, they're facing C.J. Stroud and an inferior Texans team in the rookie quarterback's first ever NFL game in a very hostile environment on the road. Of course, you're going to win that game. Week two, you are facing a banged-up Bengals team. Joe Burrow, clearly not himself, the bad version of the Bengals that we've seen early in this year, early, early on this year, and they get another big win there. Now, they've looked good. Lamar Jackson in particular has impressed me with the way that he has had command of his offense, the way that he has commanded the field as a passer has impressed me so far this year. And I really like what they're doing with him in this new scheme. But the second reason is the injuries this team currently is dealing with. It's the worst in the league pretty clearly to me. They've got eight or nine very important players, maybe eight or nine of the most important players on this team that aren't going to be available in this game, right? You've already got no Marlon Humphrey or Marcus Williams in the secondary. Your slot cornerback is also out. No OBJ for this game. Um, Owe, Bowser, Dobbins, all of those guys are out. Two linemen in Linderbaum and Stanley. That, that, right, I think that's eight that I just listed. Eight eight guys yeah. that are among the eight most important guys. for this team. Very, very big deal that they are out. Laying eight, giving eight to Indianapolis is just too many points. I don't think – people. there's a little bit of reverse psychology here on my part, I think, because people are going to see oh, Anthony Richardson. Concussion protocol. I don't think he's going to play in this game. It's shaky at best right now, whether he does or not. If it's Gardner Minshew, people are going to bet 
the Ravens side, trying to get the best of the number before it moves because of the backup factor. As much as I love QB1, the 2023 draft class, Anthony Richardson, Gardner Minshew at this point in Richardson's career is not a dramatic downgrade. It may not be a downgrade at all. We saw last week Richardson go down, and in that Texans game, Minshew came in, and they still handled the Texans with ease. Minshew is one of the best backups in the league. He's going to be fine in this game, assuming he plays. This number may continue to rise, too. So get it at plus eight, but don't be shocked if when Minshew is officially announced, it goes to eight and a half, nine, nine and a half. It won't get to 10. I'll be floored if it gets to 10. It will not. If it does, take a second mortgage out and put it down on, on, on Indianapolis. But I love Indy here at eight or more. I like that pick there. My third pick here, I, I, I'm very interested why this line is the way, but I'm taking Pittsburgh plus three going to Las Vegas. This is a big pros or dumb call out on your part because the really pros is. love vegas here um maybe maybe once again it worked for me last week you I'm said the pros were dumb about miami last week and I the pros did. were dumb um listen the steelers are four, 54 31 and four against the spread as an underdog under mike tomlin and then kenny pickett is four and one straight up in five and oh against the spread in night games with the steelers uh, in the last 20 years he's the only quarterback four and oh against the spread or better at night over those 20 years um, they're playing a Las Vegas team that I just don't think is very good. Um, I, I, like this, if it is truly the battle of mids, like I'm taking <laughs> this, I'm taking the Steelers team over. It is the battle of mids. I, I'm yeah. taking the Steelers defense over anything that the Raiders have. I, I don't I, even at a field goal right here. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Las Vegas wins this on a last minute field goal. And like, I have to just eat the push what it is, but like, I just don't see a world where Pittsburgh gets blown out in this game. Right. No, I, I agree. And this is, I mean, it'd be for them. To, they're currently 0-2, correct? Yes. Pittsburgh, uh, no, no, Pittsburgh's 1-1. They, one one, they, they right. won they, last they, week. Yeah, yeah, they did win last week. Um, yeah, I, I just don't. I think this Vegas team fundamentally is worse top to bottom than what this Pittsburgh team is. Matt Canada is a disaster. <laughs> this offense for the for the Steelers is a disaster. But Vegas's defense is not good. This is going to be I mean, an important point here that needs to be made. Matt Canada, been very bad, is very bad. However, they statistically, according to the numbers, they have played the number one defense from the NFC, and then they played the number one defense from the AFC so far this year in the first two weeks. Vegas is so far from that; it's like you can't see them. You need binoculars, yes. um, and so this will be easily, easily the most uh, most conducive to success defense they face. And I think that they'll they'll end up winning that game. So I'm with you on that bet. My fourth bet of the 2023 Week Three. Best bet gauntlet will be Seattle versus Carolina at home, giving six and a half points. It's a big number to lay. I will not begrudge you that. However, this is purely playing the numbers. Uh, this is another example where you've got a rookie quarterback who, you know, they, we've not seen him practice this week. It's going to be Andy Dalton at the helm for Carolina. Um, I don't think that's a dramatic downgrade. I think that it's pretty much samesies there, but. <laughs> I do think Seattle is the better team. I came into the year thinking the Seattle team is good. I think that they've just started really slow. And you're, you're, I think that they are due for a game this week, next, the next. So, somewhere in here, they're going to have a game that's like a get right for them. They got right a little bit against Detroit last week. They covered there for you, I believe, right? Yes. I think that they're going to kind of have a, uh, a coming out game where it's just like, okay, Seattle is – they're here. They are a good team this year. They had a slow start. But they are a team that, that is not to be reckoned with. The the money indicates um, you should bet Seattle. The big money, as opposed to the number of slips, is on Seattle, which is always a good indicator. The sharp action, as tracked by the Action Network, the big syndicate, betting syndicates that do this for a living, 
are six and zero on the side of Seattle. So I like Seattle here. They need to win by a touchdown. They are at home, but they're playing a Carolina team that doesn't have a lot going for them right now on offense. They got a backup quarterback in on defense. I, I just I don't see anything to like about this Carolina team. I see a lot to like about the Seattle team on paper. I'm betting on Seattle, putting it together, figuring out a way to blow out a bad team. Yeah, my next pick here is probably the one I feel the worst about this week. Okay. Um, but on it's, paper, it's gross. On, it's the on grossest paper, one of the slate. It's very, very gross. On our I'm, slate, that is. Yeah, I, I'm taking I'm taking uh, the Denver Broncos plus six and a half going to Miami. A couple of reasons why I'm doing this. Um, Russell Wilson just historically has been good against the spread in week three and fours. Um, he's 15 and seven against the spread, which is third best for a QB in the last 20 years. Hey, JT. Yes. Russell Wilson's also sneaky been good this year. He also has been sneaky good this he's year. Been, I, I mean, agree. like good, maybe he's been sneaky fine. As compared to last year, he's been <laughs> your, sneaky great. Your, your new favorite phrase is sneaky fine. Sneaky I don't know fine. exactly what that means. Been, but well, because average. Because everyone's expectations for him based on last year was dumpster fire. Yeah. Don't keep him off the field. However. He's not been that way this year. That's true. I, I, I'm betting this more as just a, a Dolphins are kind of reaching their peak of like, the, the hype, the market them. saturation um, with them is reaching a peak, and yes. they just haven't handled being this good, like in the public eye, very well. In the last twenty years, they've been favored by five points or more seven times in their first three games, and in those Can I games, guess? can I give you the record on that? Yeah, five games they've been favored by seven or more. S- seven games. Seven games they've, they've been, been favored, favored by five. By five or more. more. I had it backwards. Sorry. Yes. Uh, I'll say that they were they they covered two of the seven. They have not covered the spread in any of those Oh, and seven. Okay, well, there you go. That's a good number. When they have expectations, okay. <laughs> I expect Sean Payton to come in here and at least give them some trouble in this game. I don't see, uh, especially with Jalen Waddle probably being out as well. Like, I, I don't expect a huge blowout by Miami. So give me uh, Denver plus six and a half. Well, and the pros and the money both agree with you. So it's the gross side, but it is the sharp side this week. I do. I like that bet as gross as it is. My fifth and final bet also pretty gross. My fifth game. <laughs> in week three of the best bet gauntlet. Give me Tampa Bay getting five points at home in Tampa Bay against the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a play based on two things. One, again, the money and the pros, the sharps. They've actually loved Tampa Bay since the beginning of the season, which looks less and less crazy each week because they are 2-0 and they are 2-0 against the spread through two games. So Tampa Bay has been the side. They've been the team that the pros were early on and people wrote off too much this offseason that the, the, the the social stink of Baker Mayfield, um, the you know the narrative stink of a Baker Mayfield. Like he's been good, he's been playing with a, a better receiving tandem in Mike Williams and Chris Godwin than he's ever had, and it's not really that close. And they've been balling with him. And so, do I expect eventually this year the Baker Mayfield cliff will come and he'll look terrible all of a sudden? Yes, I do. I don't think it happens in this game. The other reason why, besides the pros and the money being on Tampa Bay once again this week, another is my third. <laughs> I'm big on injuries this week. Philadelphia, sneaky injured. And I don't have the exact number, the exact guys written down here, but they have three or four starters, especially on the defensive side of the ball this week, who will not be available. I came into the year kind of worried about the spine of that defense for Philadelphia, and they have not looked great. On either side of the ball, actually, through two weeks. We, we saw last week on Thursday Night Football here at Boombaz. We were watching them talking about how they won this game, but it was kind of like with their C, C-plus game. Like, it was not great. 
I'm not expecting them to suddenly turn that around. I think they're going to continue to be slow. The Super Bowl hangover is real for a team that has lost. So give me Tampa Bay plus five. I think they cover. I'm not sure they're going to win against the Philadelphia team, but lose by a field goal, I think, is what's what's uh, the, the chef ordered here. And I think right now, if you shop around, you can get that Tampa Bay plus five, but then you can also get the Philadelphia Eagles minus four and a half, which is where I'm going with this one. So once again, we go head to head and look. Yeah, well, somebody's going to be right. This is Someone's <laughs> going to be right, and I think this is more of a strategical play on my part with, with our to make our show better. This is the first uh, trademarked JT certified vibes pick vibes of the pick? year. Okay. Um, we had three or four last year. I need to... Let me write this down because last year we had a number of these for you, mm-hmm. and I wanted to like keep it like just track this the is, record. This on is them. a vibes pick because I truly hate I'm, I'm everything right, else on this. Right, track um. vibes <laughs> pick record, so we can talk about if JT's vibes are just whack and this man needs to study more, or if the vibes should be trusted. If it was at minus five, I if it, if I didn't find it earlier today at minus four, and I think you can still find it at minus four on some four and a half. I you mean, can four and a half uh, you can find. on some books. I would probably not take it, but I, I'm just going to bet on the Baker Mayfield downfall game here. If there's any stats that you would like to back this up with, um, the Eagles defense has allowed uh, 28 points um, against, uh, well, they, they allowed 28 points last week. Right. Um, in, in Philly games where the defense allowed uh, 28 plus points, the next game they've allowed 10 points, 16 points, and 7 points. So I'm expecting That's not great. I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of a bounce back here from the Eagles defense. Uh, I know they're going to Tampa Bay, but I know this team can be better. I think they will be better. I think that the Eagles I, it just vibes. I feel like this is a touchdown game. You know, like okay. it's a touch. It might All be right. a backdoor cover where okay. it's like sure. garbage time, but it, I, I think they're going to win by more than four and a half. All right. Those are our picks in Stoney in the comments. I love it. My wife says I'm sneaky fine too. Stoney, you are more than sneaky fine, but at worst you are sneaky fine. My friend. Uh, to recap our picks this week and bet along with us. I mean, I ha- we had some, some some members of the the Hot Read Apocalypse today talking about how they're trying to pick a side. Pick I'm trailing JT. I'm trailing Easton. A little trail boat. <laughs> little inside baseball here on how the show works. Unless we're going head to head like we are in the Philadelphia and and uh, Buccaneers game. Like. We do the competition mostly as a way to format our to wake money. To it's make money. it's mostly the for like ultimately we here's our our list of priorities between JT and I show success, individual success. It's great to brag about how much better I am betting than JT based on the best bet gauntlet. But what I want more is for us both to win a lot of money so we can say, hey, our show is we're very good at betting. Really good. Um, and so bet all of them because for the most part we believe in all of these lines. Now when we go to head to head. You have to pick your favorite child. You know, yeah. mom and dad are going to have to make a decision there. You're up five um, units though through uh, two two weeks. This, this so. is true. This is true. Can't be mad about that. Yeah, can't be mad. All right. So to review our picks for week three, which you should bet all of, and then you just pick your head to head. So take take nine of these ten. Uh, <laughs> JT with Buffalo minus six and a half at Washington, New England minus two and a half at the Jets, Pittsburgh plus three at Las Vegas, Denver plus six and a half versus Miami, and Philadelphia minus four and a half at he has written here baker the tampa (laughs) bay buccaneers my picks for week three tennessee plus three and a half at cleveland atlanta plus three and a half at detroit indianapolis plus eight at baltimore seattle minus six and a half versus the panthers and tampa bay plus five versus the eagles and with that my friends we are done with the show today appreciate all of you that tuned in with us live thanks for coming and hanging out Jacob, thanks to you for coming and hanging out with us in person. Can't wait to get to the bar, get some delicious food. I can't wait to I can't wait to see the look on your face 
when you try some of the food here. It's going to be delicious. You're going to love it. Those of you that, that thought about coming and didn't, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Get down here to Boomba's Pizza. Hang out with us for Thursday Night Football. Find a good game. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for a good game and you didn't come this week, then I don't begrudge you that. <laughs> um, but find a good game. Find an excuse to come out here and get some delicious food on a Thursday night. Make sure you're following us on social media at Hot Read Pod on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, at Hot Read Pod. You'll want to follow those accounts to make sure you keep up with the show. And if you are not subscribed to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page, go subscribe. We're trying to get that subscriber count up. If you're not subscribed, it costs you nothing. Please just subscribe at Broadway Sports Media. It's very helpful to us. Until Monday, when we are recapping Titans Browns for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.